Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, good evening, or sometime in the future. Uh, welcome to the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. My name is Kevin. I'm the product specialist here for Skywatcher here in North America. And the What's Up webcast is something we do every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, and we do a different topic on astronomy, what's up in the nighttime sky, um, astronomy equipment, or just pretty much anything that we want. And each topic is different every week. Uh, we try to make these fun, educational, and informative. So if you ever want to go back and watch these, even though they are recorded uh, live, uh, again, they are recorded. So you can go back to the YouTube, Skywatcher USA YouTube channel, and check out all the previous episodes that we've done. Or if there's something that you missed or you want to check back on, again, these are recorded. You can go back, check it out. And, uh, Learn about something that might be informative for you. Um, of course, let me get my big face out of the way here. There we go. Um, of course, like I said, we do this every Friday. This is the What's Up webcast. Uh, you can go ahead and subscribe to the, our YouTube channel. That keeps you up to date with all the new episodes that we're going to come out with or any other content that we might be releasing here on our uh, YouTube channel. Um, if there's anything you'd like us to cover or you have some questions, you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and just title it What's Up if you've got something um, that's in reference to the webcast. And if there is something that you want us to check out um, and maybe do a topic on, uh, shoot us an email there and we'll see what we can do about it. Now, today we're going to be talking about solar filters we've talked about imaging filters before and visual filters uh, but solar filters uh, need their own episode in their own right because they are completely different from anything else um, that we do in the hobby now before we get started in all of this i would like to be clear um, up front that observing the sun can be fun um, it can expand astronomy and what you can do with your equipment. However, it's probably the most dangerous form of astronomy because we are dealing with the sun. Uh, this is a, obviously the brightest object in the sky and emit, it emits a ton of energy, actually billions of tons of energy if we actually wanna be correct. Um, but we need to be extremely careful when observing the sun. So if you're gonna start getting into solar astronomy, please make sure you've taken the proper precautions on getting the correct equipment, as well as really understanding what you're doing and how to take the safe measures in doing so. We all wanna have a good time. We want this, not this. So using a solar filter, a correct, um, well-built, and from a trusted source um, filter for safe, uh, safe observation of the sun is critical. So please make sure that you are uh, taking all of this into account. So just we have to be clear with this up front because I, I have a lot of beginners who want to get into solar astronomy and how they should adapt their telescopes for viewing the sun safely. And we just need to make sure that this isn't just something you go out and just throw on your telescope. I mean, it is, but make sure you take your time and really research what you're getting into and how to safely handle your equipment and do these uh, observations of the sun. So the way today is going to work, today we're just talking about solar filters, the different types, how they work, and then next week... We're going to be talk. We're going to be applying everything we learned today, and apply what we can actually see with those different filters. Um, that's how uh, the next couple weeks are going to work. And then the last Friday of the month, October thirtieth, we're having Stephen Ramsden from Sunlit Earth and the Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project. He's the master of solar outreach and solar equipment. He's going to be on, I think he's going to be doing some live streaming from his solar telescopes. So um, it should be kind of neat. But um, anyway, so let's get into today's topic. But please, please be safe when you're observing the sun and take all the proper precautions when doing so. 
So first off, what's a solar filter? I mean, most of us probably have an idea, uh, but again, if you're new, or maybe this is a, a topic of interest for you that you may not have a lot of uh, understanding on, we're gonna break that down for you. So a solar filter is exactly what you think it is. It's a filter that's specifically designed to observe the sun safely. Um, these filters can be used for various applications on when we're viewing the sun. Uh, some of them reduce light in broad ranges, and some of them have can isolate certain wavelengths of light to show us certain phenomenon that occur on the sun and different layers of the sun. And then, of course, different filters can allow us to observe all different kinds of things. Um, so that's why there are so many different types of solar filters out there on the market because they are really there to allow us to see um, all these dynamic things that occur naturally on the sun and the sun is the sun is a very interesting object in comparison to most of the things in the sky you know the moon uh, the the moon a lot of the deep sky objects there's very little change on them you know the planets even them they don't have a lot of change you could obviously watch um, or image uh, Mars and the planets rotate um, Jupiter you can see the red spot and the details on there and the moons change but there's not really a lot of fundamental changes that occur where the Sun is an extremely dynamic object it's continuously changing minute to minute um, if you observe it throughout the day, you'll notice things change on there. Um, so it's a very interesting object to observe. Um, the other advantage of the sun is it's not affected by light pollution because we're actually trying to get rid of light, not uh, get away from it. So, um, and the nice thing about this in comparison to other um, forms of astronomy is because it takes place during the day, it's an excellent tool for outreach and education because you can go to a school and you can show them the sun with those safe solar filters and you can do it during the day when people are there you don't have to drag people to dark skies so it's it's a very different way of doing things um, it's very neat um, and there's a lot of different ways we can go about observing the sun and with the filters we're about to mention are basically how we do that So there are different types of solar filters and solar filters come in two major types. There's broadband and what I mean by broadband, if we're looking at the spectrum, broadband filters and if you've watched our imaging or visual filters episodes, we talk about this as well. All filters work the same way. A broadband filter lets a wide range of the spectrum through. That's the name broad because it's letting a wide selection of light through. Um, most solar filters like that you're going to use, like a white light filter, which we'll talk about, they let a, a wide variety of light through, but they also decrease uh, the amount of light coming through. So um, it makes it easier to see because it's filtering out a majority of the light, but it's still a broadband filter letting a wide range of the visible spectrum through the filter. Now the other type of filter is known as a narrowband filter. And narrowband filters are very specific and they get their name by allowing very narrow wavelengths of light to come through. And those wavelengths allow us to see some interesting phenomenon on the sun. So, and we're gonna break this down um, we're not going over all the filters uh, today, just kind of the major ones that you see. Um, like, for example, we'll get to this in a little bit, but the calcium filters and the hydrogen alpha filters when it comes to narrow band, those are the two most common. Um, magnesium and sodium filters have become more available. Um, and we'll probably talk about more of those next week um, in our Observing the Sun episode. Uh, just because it's more about what you're trying to observe that allows you to pick a filter. Um, so we'll talk about that next week for those. But 
These are the major types of narrowband filters uh, that we normally see on the market. And like I said earlier, in comparison to a broadband filter, which lets a wide range through, a narrowband filter is designed to let a very select amount of light, usually very narrow um, wavelengths, through. And with that, you're able to see certain things on the sun. And knowing about certain phenomenon, you know which filter to use to observe it. And that's what we'll talk about next week. So narrowband filters, as I said earlier, uh, let a very select uh, amount of light through. They're normally very specialized. Um, this can be done with a variety of different band passes and allows you to see different things depending on what, where in the spectrum we're selecting the light from. Because certain things are visible in certain wavelengths and invisible in others. Now, one thing that we need to remember when we're talking about uh, narrowband filters is the bandpass. Bandpass refers to how narrow the wavelength of light the filter can actually pass. And the narrower the bandpass is, the more detail you're going to get. Or selective of certain things. Uh, selective. It can be more selective as well. So mo I want to just kind of show you guys when we're talking about solar filters. Um, we talked about bandpass in our previous filter episodes, but now it, we have to crank it up a notch even further. So I'm sure a lot of you that are watching um, are astrophotographers, or if not, you know about you know filters like H-alpha filters or oxygen-3 filters or sulfur-2 filters. Those are very common narrowband filters that are used for deep sky imaging. Those filters generally run between band passes around 12 nanometer, which is really kind of broad, um, down to like the narrowest filters you can get at the moment um, on the market for deep sky imaging are three nanometers. Um, and as that band pass narrows, the contrast of the object you're shooting increases because it's getting more selective on being on the exact band of light that we're trying to capture. Now, just to give you an idea, uh, narrowband filters are generally, uh, particularly solar filters, solar narrowband filters are measured in angstroms. So, just so we kind of understand where we're at, one nanometer equals 10 angstroms. So a three nanometer H-alpha filter that you've got in your filter wheel for nighttime imaging is 30 angstroms. That's the band pass of that filter. That's fairly narrow, especially for deep sky, that's very narrow. Um, but below nanometer, we get down into angstrom. It's an even smaller measurement. So just to give you an idea of how small we're talking, um, the average thickness of a thin strand of human hair is 500,000 angstroms in thickness. So we're talking really thin. The thickness of your average sheet of paper is 8 million angstroms thick. So you can see we're getting down into the nitty gritty right now. Now most of the narrowband filters for observing the sun are generally tuned to a band pass of 2.5 down to 0.25 angstrom band pass. Um, these are exceedingly tight specifications that these filters need to meet in order to do the observations that we want to do. So when you're looking at a filter, a narrowband filter for nighttime imaging, it can be fairly expensive. But if you look at something like for the sun, they are quite expensive um, for what they are. And that's because of the band passes that we need to hit um, in order to make these observations. Now, while we're on the topic of nighttime filters, this comes up a lot. You cannot use nighttime narrowband filters for solar work. If you've got a fancy H-alpha filter um, and your filter wheel, you can't just slap that on your telescope and point it at the sun. Don't ever 
do that. Um, you're going to risk your eyes. You're going to risk your uh, camera. And odds are you will destroy that filter that you paid probably a good amount of money for. So they are not designed to handle the heat that generally builds up when you're when you're using a telescope for solar observation. Um, if you're using like a, let's say for example, an eight inch Schmidt-Cassegrain, very popular telescope that's on the market. When the light from an eight inch Schmidt-Cassegrain comes to focus and you're observing the sun with no filter, which you should never do, um, it'll only take a couple of seconds for it to get to about 200 degrees Fahrenheit at the focus point. So we're talking seconds and that will damage anything you put in the light path so we need to be very very careful when we're approaching the sun and how we observe it and making sure that the equipment we're going to be using is capable of handling um, the elements that are um, that come into play when we're actually observing the sun uh, like i said narrowband filter solar filters are usually a combination of several filters together so if you've got a solar telescope you know from Coronado or something like that odds are that's actually a system that's built up of various filters um, if you have like a Lunt solar scope that's built up of various filters in the system to build the main um, telescope it's usually a combination it's not just like narrowband it's one narrowband nighttime photography it's one filter you put into the system and that's it solar it requires a lot more now, uh, very narrowband pass filters used for solar observation use a very special, um, ugh, can't talk, very specialized optical system. This is known as an Edelon. And uh, this is a very interesting piece of optics. It's very simple, yet complex. So um, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So what's an Edelon? Now, I'm sure many of you who've done solar observation or have looked in catalogs and um, things like that have seen stuff from Coronado um, or Lunt Solar Systems or Daystar or whatever. There's uh, plenty of amazing companies out there. And you've seen stuff like this. Uh, these are Edelons. These are, uh, these are Coronado Edelons. We have a 40, a double stack set 60s, and a 90. Um, and these are various apertures that can obviously be acquired on the market right now. And the, particularly those are from Coronado. Now an Edelon is known as an interference filter. And it's composed of two extremely flat parallel optical surfaces separated by a very thin gap. And that gap can uh, usually, especially in our um, area of astronomy, it's usually air. Um, you can have oil in there for other applications. Edelons are used in laser optics as well. So um, oil isn't used in the astronomy world, um, but it can be um, for other applications if we're using Edelons. And of course, solid materials um, like mica or stuff like that, depending on what needs to be done. Now these optical surfaces that make up the Edelon are then coated with highly reflective coatings that are that are designed for the particular wavelengths of light that we want to observe. And the way that works is light enters the Edelon, bounces between the two glass elements, and then once it hits the right frequency, passes through the, the Edelon and onto the next filter or next piece of optics in the train. So just to show how this works, so like I said, incoming light is going to come into the Edelon. Um, in order for this to work correctly, it has to be parallel. Um, you can't use like a light cone and put it right into an Edelon. It has to be parallel or collimated. Um, that's either done with special lenses to collimate the light or longer focal length optics um, like with a Barlow lens attached to that or uh, something that's going to make that light fairly parallel enter into the system. Now the Edelon is composed of two generally in our in our applications glass plates. 
The light then enters the Edelon and resonates within the Edelon, bouncing back and forth between the two glass plates until it hits the right uh, angle to where the filter or the rest of the Edelon will then let the light pass through. Now, uh, just while we're on this really quick because we're doing okay for time, um, this is an Edelon. Um, this is a, this was from Lunt Solar Systems. Um, I think this is an old 35 Edelon just for, I use it for education uh, purposes when I'm doing outreach. Um, but this is an Edelon, Hydrogen Alpha Airspace Edelon. You can see the two pieces of glass in there. If you look real close, there's a really tiny little gap. It's, it's actually too big to even fit my nail um, in between there. But that's what an Edelon looks like when it's actually out of the cavity. Um, when you actually buy a, like a Lunt filter, like this, this is a LS50 filter. Um, this is the whole assembly. The Edelon sits down inside here, and then you have the, the front filter up front there that takes a lot of the heat out before it enters the system. So like I said, these are multiple filters built into one. The Edelon is just the heart of most of the narrow band uh, filters that we're talking about. Now, one thing that's really interesting about Edelons is these are polished to be extremely flat and extremely accurate. Um, you, you might go onto the forums and people talk about, oh, I want optics that are one eighth wave or like minimum, most optics need to be diffraction limited, which is about one quarter wave. Um, that's, that's generally pretty good, um, you know, some really good mirrors that are out on the market, like from really, really good opticians. Um, you know, you're probably talking about one tenth of a wave or, you know, one twelfth. Uh, those are very, very good optics. Edelons are generally polished to about one two hundredth of a wave or better. Um, eventually you just can't measure it anymore, but they are, highly accurate uh polished pieces of, of material so these have to be for as simple as the idea is it's amazing the accuracy that these little things have to be brought up to when you're manufacturing them that's why they're expensive because they're they take a lot to manufacture now there's two types of Edelon types, uh, or there's two types of Edelons that are generally found in the astronomy world. Um, the first one is the air-spaced Edelon. An air-spaced Edelon, again, is two flat optical glass plates that are separated by an air gap, thus air-spaced. And my head's in the way again, I'm sorry. There we go. Um, so air-spaced Edelons, like we're talking about this one, the Lunt, that's an air-spaced Edelon. Um, it's got an air gap in between there, between the two glass plates. Uh, the Edelons are generally tuned, so when you're trying to actually observe a very narrow wavelength of light, you generally have to tune the filter to get onto the exact wavelength, or right onto the band um, that you're gonna be seeing. Um, most air-spaced Edelons are tuned by tilt tuning. So if you've ever used a Coronado or like a, a Lunt filter, they've got like these little knobs up here. Uh, that's a tilt tuner. So that's actually tilting, physically tilting the Edelon cell so that the Edelon actually tilts and the air gap in there is angled a bit. So when the light comes in, it's some of it's on band, some of it's not. So, um, you're tuning it. Um, now, Lunt Solar Systems did something really cool several years ago, and they found that you could actually adjust the air pressure in the cavity and also tune the filter that way. So that's that's kind of a cool thing as well. So you're actually adjusting the index of the air that sits between the glass plates, and that allows you to tune the filter as well. Nice thing about that is it keeps the filter flat and you don't get the banding effect that you would um, with a tilt system where part of the sun looks really good and the other parts a little bit brighter. We'll talk about that next week. Um, now to maintain the spacing between the two glass plates, there's generally two, there's generally a set of spacers that are in there. They're generally glass or some kind of optical material. 
and that's how they're connected now a lot of people i want to bring this up really quick again this is what kind of blows my mind on these um filters here i don't know if you can see in here um there's little tiny flecks of glass in there you can kind of see them one there there's one there um anyway there's spacers in there um they call them feet and if you've ever seen a, i don't have my coronado out but if you've ever seen a big coronado filter it's got like a film in the middle of the the filter there that's also a spacer those spacers keep those those two plates in the edelon uh spaced correctly at all times uh, but what's neat is that these uh optical elements so when you have the two plates there and those spacers in there there's no glue used um to put these together even though these are really i mean i could pull this and it's really i've tried before to break this apart um i'm sure there's a way to do it watch this will be the one time i do it but this i'm pulling on this and these are not glued together the surfaces on these things are so accurately polished that when you go to connect the two known as contacting the surfaces are so smooth that when you get it just right they actually stick together just naturally will stick together and it contacts the two plates together and the edelon is now built um but that's how accurate these are they're so well polished so smooth that when you put them together they will actually automatically stick to each other um and now you have a nettle on so it's really quite ridiculous how this is done um if you're ever at knee for anything like that or any trade shows where you have a chance to talk to the people over at daystar or lunt solar systems or coronado um it's quite mind-boggling to sit there and talk to them about how this is actually done now the second type of filter that's on the market is a solid edelon. A solid edelon is two flat optical, usually glass plates, but they're generally separated by some kind of solid material. They don't have an air gap. Um, they're generally for particularly our applications. It's usually like mica. Um, my head's in the way again. I'm sorry about that. Oop, there we go. Um, So yeah, two flat optical glass plates, they're generally separated by a solid piece of material. In our case, it's generally mica. Now these Edelons, they're not tuned by tilt or air pressure because there's no air between the optical elements there. Um, so the Edelon cavities are generally heated. So that's how we tune those. Um, yes. Uh, as mentioned before, oil can actually ruin these. So generally, if you're assembling them using gloves, this one is just an education piece, so it doesn't get used at all. Um, so I can you know, touch that all day. But if you have an Edelon, do not touch it. Just don't touch it. Uh, the Edelon spacing here is generally a full piece of mica that spans across the entire Edelon surface where the air spaced has those little feet that go across the edge there. Sometimes like the Coronados, they're in the middle. Um, the solid Edelons, it's a full sheet that goes across um, the Edelon diameter. So those are the uh, Edelons there. Um, so let's just talk about some of the differences really quick. Uh, for airspace, they're generally used um, inside a dedicated telescope or front-mounted. Um, if you've ever bought like a Coronado PST or like one of their Solar Max 2s, um, the Edelon is actually down inside the tube. You've got the objective lens, the Edelon sits inside, and then it's all inside the cavity there. Um, they also sell the front-mounted filters. Lunt uh, and Coronado both sell these, as well as another company called Solar Scope. Um, these actually go on the front of your telescope, so they mount up front. So most airspace Edelons are generally done that way. Now they don't need power or heat to be used. You just take them outside and off to the races you go. And the band passes for these filters generally run between 1 and 0.6 angstroms for band pass. So that's pretty good. 
Um, you can actually stack two of these, uh, two of these filters. So if you've ever seen Coronado or Lunt, um, you can get what's known as a double stack filter where you have two Edelon assemblies stacked on each other. That's called double stacking. Um, that means there's two Edelons stacked on each other and that'll actually decrease the wavelength, uh, the bandpass further, generally somewhere between 0.5 and 0.4-ish, depending on manufacturing specs. You can always talk to whoever you're buying it through. Um, the advantage of the airspace Edelons most of the time is that they can also be made larger in diameter than a solid Edelon. So that's those are just some basic differences. Now the solid Edelons, are generally in, used inside a dedicated telescope or at the rear of a telescope. So if you're familiar, um, I'll just get through this really quick, then I'll talk to you guys about this. Uh, they do need power to run because they generally are heated to tune the filter. Now the nice thing about the solid Edelons is that they can actually get be tuned to very narrow band passes using a single Edelon. That would be the advantage for the singles. Um, the other cool thing about them is you can actually use them on various apertures where if you have like a front mounted filter, this is the Lunt 50. It's a 50 millimeter aperture. That's what it is. It's not gonna get any bigger than that. That's it, it's a 50. And a 50, it does. it's a very effective filter. Um, but it's just one one aperture, and that's just kind of what comes with that. Where solid Edelons generally can actually be moved from scope to scope. So you can use a solid Edelon on a 70 millimeter, or with the correct filters, you could use it on a 150 millimeter uh, telescope. So you can actually adjust the aperture, which is nice. Uh, generally, uh, longer focal lengths are needed when you're using a solid Edelon because they need that light to be parallel. Um, if you have a front-mounted Edelon like the Coronados or Lunt, they're sitting on the front of the scope. The light's coming in from the sun. It's already parallel, so that's fine. Um, if you have a, a Coronado PST or SolarMax 2, um, one of the Lunt scopes, like a LS60 or something like that, they have a sub-aperture Edelon that sits in the middle of the scope light comes down through the objective gets focused goes through what's called a collimation lens so it it parallels the light light goes through the edelon hits the refocusing lens on the back and continues then as a focused beam through the rest of the system um, where a rear mounted edelon you would just use the telescope as is and you would generally you could use collimating lenses that can get a little you need some custom stuff for whatever scope you're using. Or you can use like a Barlow lens to get to like F30, F40. And at that point, you can then use a, a rear mounted Edelon. So just to break this down really quick, just so you can see who does what. Um, airspace Edelons are generally from Coronado, Lunt Solar System, Solar Scope. They're all beautiful. Um, uh, solid Edelons, Daystar filters, and Solar Spectrum. Um, just really quick, I have one of Daystar, my Daystar filter right here. Um, this is a solid Edelon. Uh, this is a Daystar uh, Quantum. This is their Hydrogen Alpha Quantum. This is a bandpass of 0.4, a really narrow filter. Um, this can actually be equipped to a variety of different uh, telescopes. Um, I use this on our Evo Star 72, it works really well, or I can put it up onto like our Esprit 150 and have a 150 millimeter H-alpha telescope. Um, so this is used in accordance with a bunch of other filters in the system, as well as a Barlow, usually like a 4X Barlow to get me to the F-stop that I need. Um, but the nice thing about this is I can put it on a variety of different scopes and it gives me a really nice view of the sun. Um, now, there's people that are gonna ask, should I get this? Should I get that? Um, they're kind of, they're very different from one another. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So um, I wouldn't say one's better than the other. They're just different applications on how you want to use them. Um, so get both, um, honestly. So let's just break down the common solar filters really quick that are on the market. 
Uh, the first one, the one that everybody talks about, the one you're gonna look at first is a white light filter. A white light filter lets you look at the disc of the sun, generally lets you see some sunspots. And next week we're gonna go into all the details of what exactly each filter shows you on the sun. So today we're just talking about general uh, understanding of the filters. And then next week we'll talk about what that filter is actually intended to be used for, um, for observing the sun. So white light filters like this um, are generally, they're broadband, they're letting most of the spectrum through, they're just dimming down the light. And again, my big head is in the way. Um, there we go. Um, so they're bringing down most of that. Uh, if you missed it, just real quick, it looks like that. Everyone's probably seen that. Um, that's what the sun looks like. They're a white light filter when there's stuff going on. Um, it's a broadband filter, so this is the, the visible spectrum. It's letting the visible spectrum through. It's just dimming down that light. Now there's a different, there's a couple different flavors, I guess you could say, of white light filters. Um, like I said, this is a broadband filter. Most common filter that if you're gonna start observing the sun, this is generally what you start with is a white light filter. It generally fits over the front aperture of the telescope, completely over the front aperture of the telescope. And there's a there's a bunch of manufacturers that make these. Um, um, and you can use it on any type of telescope. Um, uh, white light filters can be used on, yeah, uh, Michael, yeah, can you put, um, I'm assuming you're meaning the white light filters. If not, let me know, but, um, White light filters can be attached to any telescope. They go over the front diameter of the telescope. It looks like this. This is a, like for an Esprit 100. They're generally a metal aluminum cell, and then the filter sits in the cell, and then that slides over the front of the telescope completely. Um, and it really just goes off of the diameter of your telescope. So manufacturers, this is from Spectrum Telescope that made this one. I got this for the Eclipse in 2017. Um, Botter makes a bunch of nice filters, uh, Thousand Oaks Optical, AstroZap, um, there's a bunch of them um, that make white light solar filters, so um, that's a white light filter right there. And again, those fit over the front. Now the types, uh, you have a film filter, which uses, uh, looks like a mylar film, which you can see on these two telescopes in the picture here. Those are film solar filters, uh, they work really well. Um, then you have glass, which of course is right here. Um, they both do the same thing. Um, I actually prefer the film filters. I think the light throughput's a little bit cleaner in film. There's not as much absorption as there is in the glass in comparison. They're both very effective, but I, I tend to, if I'm using a front mount filter, um, I tend to prefer film. Um, this was just for photography purposes for the eclipse. It works just fine. Um, but really either one works. Uh, film filters tend to be a little bit um, less expensive, but check with the manufacturer that you're buying it through. Now there is a third type of solar uh, white light solar filter. And um, this I would say is the more advanced version of a white light filter and you need to understand what you're doing um, with this filter. So if you're gonna get one, just uh, just make sure. Oh, Mike, you're talking about the, the Daystar Edelon. Um, I don't think these can be used on Newtonians. Newtonians, I don't think, have enough focus travel. You could always check with Daystar and see if they, they do that. Um, but generally they're designed for refractors, maybe on a Cassegrain, but I'm, Newtonians, I don't believe so, but go ahead and call um, Daystar and they'll be able to help you with that. Um, so back onto the Herschel wedge um, is what it's known. Uh, Herschel wedges, you can kind of see it down here. A Herschel wedge is a very specially designed prism. It's uncoated, doesn't have any aluminum reflectivity coatings on it or anything like that. They can be used on 150 millimeter or smaller, and they can only be used on a refractor. Um, if you wanna check what the aperture size is, check what the manufacturer that you're buying it through. Some of them can go a little bit bigger, but again, you can only use this on a refractor. Now, how this works is you have the objective lens, no filter on the objective lens. 
just straight objective. We have the objective lens, and then inside the the housing of what looks like a diagonal, um, you have a special prism that's uncoated. There's no silver aluminum coating on there at all. It's got some nice anti-reflective coatings on there um, for glare purposes, but there's no there's no silver coating on there. And then at the back of it, you have uh, generally have a vent or heat sink to dissipate any heat. And then further up in there, in that system, you generally have an, an, a neutral density filter or polarizing filter. So how this works is light enters the objective of the telescope, gets focused almost, um, hits the prism. Some of the light reflects up just like a standard uh, you know, diagonal would be. It reflects up. Um, you'd then go through an ND or polarizing filter to diminish and adjust the brightness. And then the majority of that sunlight passes through the prism to the vents or the heat sink where the heat is then dissipated in the back of the filter there. Um, I really enjoy um, Herschel wedges. I think they give the cleanest view of the white light disc of the sun. Um, this is the one I use. Uh, this one's actually made by Mead. Um, there's a bunch of them out there though. Uh, this is just the one I happen to have. Um, but, uh, Botter makes a really nice one. Uh, Lunt Solar Systems makes one. Of course, Mead makes one. There's a couple other ones that look like this in various colors. So, um, but that's a Herschel wedge. You can see down in there, um, you can see the heat sink in the back. Um, you're actually looking through the prism. You can see down here with my finger, um, those are the vents back in here dissipates the heat um, and then there's actually there is polarizer the reason I like this one in particular is it has the polarizers built into it and you just adjust this section so you can adjust the polarizer that way um, other ones you can install all different types of filters in there to to help with imaging um, so but that's a Herschel wedge uh, the reason you would only use this on a refractor is because on a Schmidt Cassegrain, or you can only use it on like a Cassegrain, is the light will come down through the front of the telescope, reflect off the mirror, and then start focusing on the secondary mirror. And the secondary mirror has to bear the brunt of that focus light. So you will melt the secondary off of your Schmidt Cassegrain with this. So don't use it on a Schmidt or a Mac or any Cassegrain at all, just a refractor. If you've got a refractor that's a six inch, 150 millimeter or smaller, a Herschel wedge is gonna give you the cleanest image of the disc of the sun. Um, you can see granules and all kinds of detail. Again, I'm gonna talk about what you can see in each of these filters uh, next week. So uh, there's the heat sink. It's, a, it's like a ceramic heat sink in the back. The cool thing about this particular one is that when the light's coming through, you can see the the light project onto this so you kind of know that you're on target because it'll be it's like a big uh solar finder essentially so that's that's the one i have um i've had several of the lot ones they work really well too so just you know or the botter one the botter gives you a lot of customization so if you're really getting into it the last type of filter that i want to talk about um uh, really quick before you get a herschel wedge if you really like if this intrigues you, make sure you do your homework and understand how these work. Um, just if you have questions, you can you can talk to us about it. it is the more expensive way of doing white light, but make sure you do your research on this before slapping one on a scope. So. Um, I actually think it is worth it. I think the Herschel wedges are a lot cleaner. They're a lot sharper, um, but that's just me. Um, I feel the details that you can see inside uh, using a Herschel wedge are better than what I see in a front mounted filter like a, a glass or film filter um, but that's just me but when I'm shooting eclipses I don't use the Herschel wedge because I have to be able to take that off really quick during totality and a front mount filter is way faster for that but we can talk about that next week um, as far as what we do with each filter um, the last filter I want to talk about really quick is the IP solar filter uh, you don't see these anymore for a very good reason because they're extremely dangerous. Um, never use these. If you have one in your telescope, throw it away or just keep it for fun um, as a collector piece, but do not put it in the telescope. Um, 
this sits right at the focus point of where the heat is coming down. It's not capable of handling the light. Um, unlike a Herschel wedge, which is, it's not quite at the focus point yet. It's designed to handle and dissipate the heat before it damages anything where this filter is not. So if you have a, a little filter that looks like a solar filter, it threads on your eyepiece, throw it away or just put it in the box, but never ever use it. Um, extremely dangerous you're putting your eyes in peril it's it's they shouldn't even be produced at this point anymore but i just wanted to bring that up while we're on uh, white light filters if you have one get rid of it okay so we talked about white light filters uh, the next one we're going to talk about is calcium filters and calcium filters produce an image like this it's generally way over in the far portion of the spectrum um, over in the ultraviolet produces a blue or very dark it's like looking at a black light is kind of how i describe it now like i said calcium filters pass light way over in the uv part of the spectrum uh, they produce a very dark blue purple image um, one thing you need to remember with these is this frequency of light is already very difficult for us to see it's right at the limit of the human eye's capability but as our eyes age, they yellow, um, and it becomes increasingly more difficult to see this wavelength of light visually. Um, so it's mostly an imaging filter, um, but you can use it visually. Um, I use one. Uh, this is the, uh, what is this one? This is the Daystar Calcium H Quark uh, filter. This is the one I currently use, but I've, I've owned the Lunt Calcium filters and uh, this was the This is my old Coronado in the picture here. Let me get my head out of the way. This is my old Coronado SolarMax 70 calcium. Uh, Coronado doesn't make the calcium scopes anymore because they are so limited. Um, you kind of have to be a fan of the sun to really want to use this filter. I would say this is after you buy a white light filter and a hydrogen, which we'll talk about in a minute. Calcium is probably further down the road. Um, it's more if you're really into the sun is where I would recommend one of these. Now there are two types of filters that you can get in the calcium wavelengths because there's two bands of calcium you can isolate. Uh, there's calcium K, which is the more well-known one, which is 393.4 nanometers, or calcium H, which is 396.9 nanometers. Um, Lunt Solar Systems and Coronado make, as well as Daystar, uh, all make, well, Coronado doesn't make them anymore. They Coronado originally made the PST CAC, the C-A-K is what they call it, um, the SolarMax 70, which you see right here, and a SolarMax 90 in calcium. And you can know they are calcium filters, scopes, because they have an anodized blue ring on the telescope, and they'll probably say calcium somewhere. Um, they're fairly rare um, telescopes to find. So the Coronado Calciums aren't made anymore. Um, you can find them on the used market. The PST, they're pretty sought after though. Um, the PST is pretty rare. The 70 is probably the most common. And the 90 is like hen's teeth. I think there's only like 10 in the world. Uh, buddy of Steven, who we'll have at the end of the month, has one. He can talk to you all about it. Um... Lunt also makes a very cool calcium blocker that can be put onto an existing telescope. If you want to check those out, go check them out. And then, of course, Daystar makes calcium K filters um, as well as the calcium H. Now, people might be asking, why is there a calcium H? Uh, calcium H, if you look at the wavelengths down there, um, calcium K is at 393 and calcium H is at 396. Um, the human eye generally sees between, I think it's around 380 to 700 nanometers visually. Um, calcium H is just a little bit more within the human eye spectrum. So it's actually a little easier to see in comparison H than the K line. Um, so I have the calcium H filter just because I have more luck with people at outreach events being able to see it than the K lines have. Um, filters have so but it's not really a, a visual filter at that point 
I'll get to the aperture question in just a sec. I promise we're almost done with that. Um, the next type of filter, this was supposed to be red. I was trying to get all the colors matched up, but that didn't work out. Um, is the most common, most popular after white light is the hydrogen alpha filter. Now, hydrogen alpha, of course, lets us see all kinds of cool stuff on the sun. And we'll talk about that next week on exactly what it lets you see. But hydrogen alpha is way over in the red part of the spectrum. Really easy to see, very dynamic. The sun is very dynamic in that wavelength of light. Um, so very, very cool to check that out. Um, H-alpha filters, like I said, are the most common filter, uh, the most common narrow band filter available. Um, and there's so much you can do with them. Uh, these produce an orange-red image, and they allow you to see all kinds of features on the sun, from solar flares to prominences of filaments. And again, we'll talk about all the details next week about what you can see in image in each filter. Um, that's next week's episode. Um, but the H-alpha filters allow you to see a bunch of stuff. These are excellent for visual and imaging outreach. They're a really great filter to pair with your white light filter. Um, what I mean pair is have one telescope with white light filter, one have a hydrogen filter, and it actually is very cool. It gives you a good contrast on what's going on in teaching the sun. Uh, the narrower the band pass of these filters, the more detail you're going to see on the surface. Again, we'll talk about that uh, next week as well. And of course, uh, this brings into the conversation, you know, what was the difference between like an airspace, like a Coronado or a Lunt filter versus like the solid, like a Daystar. Um, this was taken with my Coronado SolarMax 90 double stack. Um, so that's a full disc image. It's actually a mosaic. I need to do a couple different frames. I think it's four or six, depending on the camera I'm using to get the whole disc at that focal length. But the airspace uh stuff is generally shorter focal length gives you a wider field of view so it's very good for taking not only high resolution resolution images but also getting that nice full disk image of the sun so um having having that works really well now high resolution imaging you can do as well with airspace um but having that uh, rear mounted filter like I said, the Daystar filters um, mount up to those telescopes. You get more resolution and aperture to back you up. And unless you get that really high resolution uh, imaging done when seeing permits, by the way. So uh, that's kind of the fundamental basics of each filter. Um, but next week, um, that's pretty much it for this week. There's all of our information right there real quick. But next week, we're actually going to be taking everything we learned today. Now that we know the basic filters that are available on the market, next week, we're going to take all of that knowledge and apply it to what that actually lets us see on the disk of the sun. So it's uh, that's pretty neat. So this week and next week kind of go hand in hand, uh, two pieces um, on that. So. If you have any questions, now is the time to get to it. I will start perusing uh, some of the stuff in here, seeing what's what. Um, I know. Uh, do ap does aperture matter with solar imaging? Uh, yes, um, aperture is aperture, just like any other telescope. You know, whether you're observing the planets or observing whatever, more aperture is going to give you more resolution. So. Um, having a 60 millimeter telescope aimed at the sun versus a 150 millimeter, all with the correct filters, I might add. The 150, as long as seeing allows, will be able to show you finer detail. You'll be able to magnify more and get all kinds of really elegant detail that the 60 might just not have resolution to capture. Um, now, Keep in mind the sun is very bright so a lot of the apertures that we're talking about for the sun are generally fairly small in comparison to deep sky targets and other applications of astronomy so you know like the popular coronado pst that's a 40 millimeter telescope that's more than enough to see awesome stuff on the sun 
Um, most solar telescopes sit somewhere between 30 and 150 millimeters in aperture. Um, I find that once you hit about 120, 150 millimeter aperture for the sun, that's kind of the limit of the seeing conditions for the day. Um, you have to remember that there's a lot of heat that's in the atmosphere. There's a lot of heat coming off the ground. All of that's going to affect how useful a larger aperture telescope will be. Um, so seeing conditions for observing the sun, I feel, are a lot more um, strict, I guess, for lack of a better term, because you have a lot more variables in play than you generally do at night. Uh, let's see. That's the aperture question. Um, so with the rear mount filters, you don't need anything in front of the refractor. Uh, not necessarily. It depends. So if you're using, um, let me just make myself bigger so you guys, you, you guys all know what's next week. Rear mounted Edelons, like the Daystar Quark, Daystar, this is a Quantum uh, PE edition. Um, rear mounted filters. You want to talk with the manufacturer about what filters you might need. Um, a lot of times with Daystar, uh, they recommend using a UVIR cut filter, generally seated a little further up the train, the uh, further up the optical train um, from where the Edelon sits, normally up here, like in front of the Barlow lens or whatever's being used, um, to cut that down. Uh, they do have front-mounted uh, what are known as energy rejection or ERF filters um, that can also be mounted up at the front. Like if you're gonna use this on a Schmidt-Cassegrain, uh, you would need to get an energy rejection filter from probably Daystar, whoever, um, to utilize that. Uh, but on smaller telescopes, you can get away with that UVIR filter in the system. Uh, before you start messing with one of these, I would do your research, um, give Daystar a call or whoever rear-mounted Edelon you're gonna be getting. Um, give them a call and check what accessories you might need to make that work. Uh, Daystar makes a, this is the big boy filter right here, um, but Daystar makes the cork filters. Um, those are very good starters for rear mounted Edelons. Very simple system. They've, they've done a really nice job at implementing everything you need um, into that. So if you're interested in those, uh, call Daystar and chat them up on that. Let's see. Uh, sorry, guys. I'm just reading through it. Um, I have much of what you discussed. Month 60,000 Oaks film, Matter Wedge. Uh, question: Which quantum SE bandwidth are you using? Okay, so this is a this is a Daystar. Um, let me flip this around. The Daystar Professional Edition Edelon. Um, they make what's known as the standard edition and the professional edition. Professional editions um, have a more uniform piece of mica between the Edelon. Um, they're just a bit higher up on the, the level of, um, I wouldn't say quality, but the quality of the material that sits between the Edelon is just a bit higher. Um, even though a standard edition works really well, um, the professional editions are just a little bit more goes into that. Um, my particular one is 0.4 angstrom bandpass. Um, this is uh, for mine. I find that works really well. Uh, my EvoStar 100 sounds like it will do great. Complement uh, 60 Coronado, so I get a rear mount filter for it. Um, yeah, so if you have a Coronado or a Lunt or whatever front-mounted filter, you could get an adapter machined and it mounts right to the front, and then you would take the blocking filter, which should come with these. Uh, generally, when you buy a Coronado or a Lunt, it's two parts. You get the front filter, the Edelon assembly, and you get like a diagonal. Uh, I don't have a blocker with me right now. I should have pulled that out. Um, there's a special diagonal that has other filters in it. They have to be used paired together in there. It's not like you just put this up there and you're done. Um, but you could mount these external Edelons with a machined adapter to, um, oh wait, that's right here. Here's the blocking filter. Blockers look like this. They've got some filters down in there. There's the other part of the filter. 
These have to be used together. You cannot use these separately. Same thing with the Coronados. Uh, they're a two-part set, generally. And... Uh, there we go. And then we have an adapter ring that's been machined. This goes on our... This can actually work on a Evo Star 80 or Evo Star 100. Um, basically, it clips over the front, and then the Edelon just threads in there, and that adapts right to the front of the telescope. Easy peasy, nothing, nothing fancy. A uh, bunch of questions today. I have a double stack PST. What is the proper procedure for adjusting the two Edelons? Uh, I have a double stack PST as well. I don't know why I don't have it out here right now. Um, when you're doing double stack filters, um, the way you generally do it is you put the double stack filter on there. Sorry, I'm trying to remember this as I go. Um, when you look through the telescope, you're gonna see a ghost image and you'll see the disc of the sun and then what they call a ghost. So the, the image of the sun will be bright and then the ghost will be a little bit more transparent. You take the front filter with the tilt tuner and you tilt the ghost image out of the field of view until it's gone. And then from there, you would do all your adjustments on the rear Edelon, the second Edelon, whether the PST would actually rotate the collar um, back there. You can do some adjustments if you've got one of the new SolarMax 2 or 3 filters. You can do some adjustments on that Edelon as well, but most of the adjustments would happen on the rear Edelon once the double stack ghost image is tilted out of the, the view. Uh, let's see, uh, PE edition. Yikes, that's a pro research grade filter. Uh, yeah, the, the Daystar filters are very, very nice filters. Um, I use them in tandem with my Coronados. My Coronados I use for full disc and some high res stuff. This is what I use for really high resolution stuff. Um, like I said, the corks work really well. Um, they're, if you're just getting started, look at the cork filters from Daystar. They, they work just fine um, if you're getting introduced to uh, rear-mounted Edelons. Normally what I would probably say is if you're just getting started with solar observing, particularly hydrogen alpha, um, go get yourself like a, a Lunt, I think they have a 40 now, the Lunt 40 or the Lunt 50 or a Coronado PST or something like that. Go try that out. Make sure it's something you like, um, and then move into something like a Daystar, because Daystar is going to require a little bit more understanding of everything going on there. So um, it's definitely I like using them both together. I wouldn't say one's better than the other. They complement each other very nicely. Um, but make sure it's something you want to do, because um, a cork filter is going to be about twelve hundred bucks, um, which isn't horrendous. Um, but you have to put that on an existing telescope. Um, so you need to take all that into advance or into thought. Uh, the SE and the PE filters are just another higher level grade up on the corks. Um, this is when you're, you've sold your entire life to the sun, essentially, is a PE. Um, looking at, this is a point, point four five. I'm sorry, point four five professional edition uh this little guy right here just this part um would set you back about uh 15k is what this uh apparently from daystar will set you back so uh which is better uh front mounted or rear mounted um i don't think either one is better than another they're just different um i feel that they complement each other really well um Airspace or front-mounted, I think, is better for wide field of view and just kind of throwing stuff out there. And then rear-mounted, I think, is better for high-resolution work. Um, but honestly, I think they go hand-in-hand -hand together for different applications of the sun. It's kind of like one's a wide-angle lens, one's a telephoto. Um, not that you can't do excellent stuff with uh, the, the airspace. Those work really well. It's just you know, they. I think they both have their own places um, together. Uh, let's see. Is that really a twelve thousand dollar filter? Uh, fourteen, 
actually. Um, if you're ever in Arizona and we're doing an outreach event on the sun, this is out there. So if you ever want to come to Arizona and take a look through it, I generally have it on an Esprit 120 or Esprit 150. So it's big. Okay. Um, that's pretty much it for today. Um, I thank you all for watching. I hope this was informative or if you're, if you're uh, watching this after the fact, I hope this was informative. Um, again, next week we're going to be talking about how to observe the sun. So all the filters we just talked about, we're going to kind of go back next week and actually see what's visible in each filter um, and kind of go over the details and phenomenon that are visible using those filters. So these two will go hand in hand. Um, so I hope today was really informative for you. Um, again, if you enjoy this, go ahead and subscribe to our channel uh, with all the information right there. Um, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. It keeps you up to date with everything that we're doing. Um, if you have any questions, go ahead and support us uh, or go ahead and email support at skywatcherusa.com. Title it What's Up if it's about the webcast. Um, that's pretty much it for today. Uh, today, this weekend, I think, is dark week. Dark weekend, no moon. So uh, get your telescopes out there. Go check it out. Go look at the sun. It's out right now. Um, no light pollution. Make sure you use the right stuff. Don't, don't be stupid when it comes to the sun. So uh, thanks very much. We hope to see you next week. Again, we're going to bring all these filters back, but now we're going to talk about what we're seeing. Um, so thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy, and clear the 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 